All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Episode 148 of the Hordes of Chaos on the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Uh, so yeah, lots to get to today. We always have so much to get to. <laughs> I mean, like we, I feel like we need like 12 shows. Right. Uh, as promised a couple weeks ago, we're back on track. Now I got some more label and promotional site music coming your way. I am going to say right now that I've had to like kind of restart somebody so some of the stuff that you guys have been sending me over the past year i'm not going to use i'm going to try and move forward with like within this past month and anything going forward uh, i do apologize to any bands we didn't get to it's just that's kind of how it is sometimes and there's just a lot of music to get to there's a lot of i see your email i know how much you get yeah it, it, it's crazy and it just started building up and i was like at first i was like well maybe i'll just keep trying to go through them but really you know, they keep sending me new stuff every week. So by the time you say, give me a new album from February that's coming out, I may not even get to that album until, like, March. <laughs> so it's like it's kind of like you're defeating the purpose here with, like, debuting new stuff. Mm -hmm. So I just have to kind of pick and choose right now. There are some stuff from December right now I'm going to get out of the way the next couple months uh, for you guys and gals. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had to kind of, like, just make a choice there with that because on top of what you send me i've got all this other new music that's coming in and i gotta get to some of that and whatnot so that's what we see here uh we'll be talking a little bit today about the spider-man movie no way home we went and saw that recently mm -hmm. uh i will recap the witcher season two neko did not watch this series i think i got like I started watching um, episode one of season one, and I'm like, this is not for me. Yeah. This is not, like, a show that I would like. Right. It's just not really up her alley, but it is kind of important for the rest of us who enjoy this particular uh, series and stuff. Uh, I have my retro DVD movie vault pick of the week, which was an uh, interesting one, to say the least. It's one I really liked growing up, but 
I'm going to have some problems with it, obviously, and I know Neko will, too. Uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, the believability of her, their age is the one thing that right. really got me. But there's a lot of interesting stuff within this as well. Uh, a couple requests. Kevin uh, got Kevin one for Kevin himself and one for his friends, so we're finally getting to those re uh, requests in this episode. Uh, so it'll be coming up. Uh, first, I want to talk before we get to our first block. We did do an interview recently with uh, Ian from Retro Serial. So you can check him out on Retro Serial on YouTube. Yep, and uh, he does a lot of, uh, obviously, retro... If you, if you are Generation X, you're going to like his channel, because it's, it's totally... Gaming, movies... Like, shows from when we were younger like right. i mean i Dips even some hazard i was born in 1980 so i'm like probably the last cusp of what was considered generation x because then they start lumping me into millennials and it's hard for me to feel like a millennial because they also say people who were born in the 90s were millennials too and i'm like well i was already 15 and i didn't grow up with a phone or internet and things like that, the way that these kids who were born in, like, 95, by the time they were teenagers, they had the internet and a phone and everything. Yeah, but uh, Ian, you know, he wanted to talk to us about uh, Thrash and Death Metal. We didn't get too much to the Death Metal part of it, but we did talk about an hour or so about Thrash and some of the history of how we became metal fans and, of course, the, the genre itself. It's, uh, and it was fun. I like I like stuff like that. Yeah, and Ian's a very nice guy. Uh, great interviewer. And, and he uh, was, he's was he been on Versus a few times with us. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. I mean, if you ever catch out the Fat Summarize um, YouTube, he does Versus every Thursday. And we put two movies against each other. And this week was Home Alone versus Jingle All the Way. All the way. Um, also for Ian, the rest of the YouTube personality that we deal with, uh, Neko and I will be going through probably Sunday to try to bang out some liners for you all to give your site some advertisements and stuff. It's been kind of busy, so haven't quite got to it just yet, but we are going to attempt to make some liners up to give you guys some pub while we're doing these shows. Yeah, so. we want to we wanna, um, kind of like a little commercial for your show. Yeah. And in our first block of music, got some new stuff from uh, Cadaveric Fume, excuse me. Malignant Alter, who was in our best of list from uh, last week, actually. Mm -hmm. And from Against PR with Dormant Ordeal, this kicks it off with Poetry Doesn't Work on Whores. Whores of Chaos. Whores.
Pistol Adolf Hitler's Mercedes Benz. Well, Hitler had it coming. What goes around comes around. <laughs> Man, they're gonna be pissed. Yeah, they're always pissed, honey. They're Nazis. It's like it's their job. DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw and real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace Alright We are back We're back yeah, talk a little bit about Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Spider-Pig, Spider-Pig. Crawling on the ceiling, Spider-Pig. Do you remember that from the Simpsons episode? I'd, I'd never seen that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Neko and I had a chance to go see Spider-Man No Way Home Wednesday. Um, week after everyone else got to see it, so we had to really kind of avoid spoilers and everything else. Uh, which we did alright. You know, we went in with... No, we're really under. I mean, I I knew because I'd seen a couple of movies beforehand, how they all tie in together. But Neko had not seen the first two Spider-Man films. I think I saw the first one, not first the second one. one. Homecoming. Mm-hmm. So basically, No Way Home picks up basically where Far From Home pick, uh, left off, where Mysterio is about to be killed, and he reveals that. Spider so what was what was up with Mysterio? You know, I, I I don't remember a whole lot from that particular film. It wasn't a bad movie. I just I you know this article I was reading talked about how those those particular villains weren't very memorable. Even though I thought uh, Keaton from Homecoming was a very good vulture. Like I like his. Yeah, I remember the vulture. But uh, Mysterio had come, and he was sort of like kind of like a good guy here, or at least he was pretending to be. And you know. And we saw that when the reaction to Mysterio dying was everyone's like, Mysterio was right, he was a good guy, Spider-Man's a murderer, etc. Uh, but in the video that was recorded, Mysterio had given away uh, the alias for Spider-Man, which is Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. And we find that Peter is now out in the open. Like his, his identity has been revealed, his girlfriend and everybody knows who his girlfriend is, his friends are, his family. And it's also becoming a burden in terms of like all this pressure and the people falling around. It's almost like a celebrity at this point. Um, and it's much different than say Tony Stark and Iron Man or Thor or some of those people who have their identities out in the open like you know stark could handle it easy he has a lot of money he can avoid a lot i of think tony stark likes uh but he, yeah it feeds his particular ego but you know here it is 
He's a, a uh, Peter Parker, seventeen. Right, he's a young kid, you know, and he, he they're all planning on going to college, which I'm, MIT is one of the places they want to go together with Ned and his girlfriend, and they all apply and they're all waiting. But then, of course, because of all this outside issue with Parker and Spider Man and, and Mysterio, schools are reluctant to actually. You know, put them into their uh, schools because they don't want all the baggage to come with it. So they all get declined, and this pays pretty heavily on Parker's mind because he wants at least his girlfriend and his friend to go. He doesn't want them to be responsible for all the shit that you know he is responsible for as Spider-Man. So we uh, find a familiar face in Doctor Strange, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, who portrays that character in, in the Marvel universe, and. Peter's like, I need you to do a spell to make people forget. <laughs> and, you know, at first, Strange's like, yeah, you can't really mess with shit like that. And, but finally, he does kind of, like, give in. He's like, okay, we can, there is something we can do. And as Strange is starting to perform this spell. He's like, he keeps saying, I want everybody to forget Peter Parker. Except for Aunt May, or my girlfriend, or Ned. And the problem is, Strange is in the middle of this spell, and it's like, you can't keep doing this, so he's got to keep reining it in. It's pretty cool how he does it with the special effects and CGI. So eventually, you know, Parker's, all right, I'm done, you know, but of course, the spell either been open too long, or it's just a lot of shit going on. And Strange contains it into, like, this little cube. It looks almost like a Dungeon Dragons cube, a little bit. Dice, you remember the little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like ten sided dice or whatever it was, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, I got this contained in here, and I I can't remember if it was supposed to work at that point or not." Or... No, he he contained it in there because he didn't want it to get loose, right? Because it was it was too crazy. Like he, Parker screwed it up by making so many changes, mm-hmm. and so then he got locked up in his little box, and you know, he's like, "You know, we can't let." All right, him. we're gonna stop here. There may be spoilers, so oh, yeah, yeah, fast yeah. forward if you don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Skip this part if you don't want any spoilers. Uh, but there is a box that is protecting this cube, and what was it? I forget. I'm trying to remember why Peter needed to take the box. Maybe that's a little bit later. Anywho, uh, so yeah. So one thing, what happens is when Strange takes the spell and contains it he tells peter's like look maybe you should just talk to the representative of the college and ask them if they'd reconsider yeah that was really funny he's like you didn't even ask them right yeah peter had never even bothered to try to to plead his case so strange is like kind of growing annoyed and angry but he's like look you didn't bother to ask them and you had me do all this shit uh, so he, he, eventually Peter goes back trying to talk to the admin or whoever is, you know, representing the MIT school and telling her, you know, look, you know, it's not my fault, you know, let my girlfriend, I forget her name, uh, oh, MJ. Yeah. MJ and Ned to get back into, you know, school, like, even if I don't get there or whatever. And it's at this moment on the bridge because he actually had to chase her down because she was going to the airport to leave. And, uh... All of a sudden, Doc Ock shows up from, like, we're talking Tobey Maguire. Yeah, the Spider-Man second too. Spider-Man right. 2. So, and this is the cool thing about this movie is they pulled the same actors who played these characters in those movies. So it's really cool that they did this. So 
uh, Alfred Molina, who portrays Doc Ock, shows up. And there's like this little battle that goes between Spider-Man and him. And then all of a sudden when Spider-Man is unmasked, you know, Ock's like, you're not Spider-Man. You're not Peter Parker. Right. He, he's like, you're not the same guy. So there's some confusion there. And then not too long after that, we see a little green bomb show up. And, of course, it's like, oh, oh. the Green Goblin, William Dafoe, the master, uh, shows up. And he's talking his smack <laughs> and all this stuff going on. And, it, you know, we got this little back and forth because Hawk knows who, uh, what is uh, Goblin's real name? Doctor Osborne. Name. Osborne, yes, thank you. And uh, they know each other, obviously, but what Strange had done is told Parker that he needed to use this device to get these guys encased in, like, this little room that he's got down in his little basement at wherever the fucking headquarters is for Strange at his house uh, until he can send them back. Like, it was a basically a holding cell for these guys. So mm-hmm. as Parker's, like fight them or whatever he shoots this little beam at them and then they go pop into this like little cell so it was basically he's got to collect these guys so that they can figure out how to get them back to their timelines and we all know about timelines because of Loki and of course Endgame and everything else that's been fucking with the timelines um and he said there's infinite multiverses right uh so we we obviously we run to like two or three other guys like Sandman uh, Lizard Man, I, that one I'm not even that familiar with. Uh, and then who was the fifth one that they had to run around? Oh, uh, Jamie Foxx's... Um, Electro. Electro. And uh, so they do manage to get them all into these cells. Um, but there, again, there's with the villains, there's even this confusion of like where they are, why they're there. Because uh, Osborne knows... Or, uh, Doc Ock knows that Osborn died and perished under Spider-Man. Because that was the first Spider-Man and, and they were colleagues. Right. And uh, But then as they kind of start reminiscing, like there's this discussion about like Spider-Man, how Spider-Man has killed certain villains. And Osborn, you know, he's trying to recite the last time he was in a battle with Spider-Man. He's like, yeah, you know, I remember doing this and then, oh shit. It's kind of like get everybody was like, yeah, I was kicking his ass, and, and then, then I'm I was here. Up here. Yeah, so they're all kind of starting to realize that oh, they didn't make it, and like they just know that somehow they've got transported somewhere else. Uh, but Parker and Modern World Holland's character, he's uh, wanting to help these guys. Like Strange just wants to send them back to whatever fate they were gonna face, and you know we all know from the movies what fate they had. But uh, Parker actually wants to help him. This is why he takes the box from Strange. Because he knows Strange will just go and like smash it or whatever he's going to do with it. And push the button basically and send these guys back to try to write the timeline. Now this one itself, and this is something Neko's talked about time and time again since Endgame. Once you've fucked up the timeline, there's other ones that spring off it and different things change. And different things are created. Uh, and we find that out with this because the more that Parker holds back from sending these guys back, the more chaos that can ensue. And so besides taking the box, he's now decided he wants to work with these guys. And in some way we learned that all of them have some redeeming qualities about themselves. They were all at one point decent people who 
became angry at the world or had some sort of uh, issue with the science behind, because a lot of them are doctors, so they, they all dabbled in the sciences. That's how Ock, you know, had his octopus legs. Mm -hmm. and Goblin has his stuff that's going on with Osborne. He's he's mentally unstable. Right. Osborne's really like the wild card of the bunch because he, he's playing with a dual uh, schizophrenia, basically. Or split personality. And, uh... But, you know, for the time being, he's Osborne. He's trying to be nice and fix things and wants to be better. That's one of the things these guys talk about. Like, Doc Ock at first is kind of like, you know, I don't want you to do anything to me. Like, and but see, Parker has kind of figured out what is driving his anger and his, his pain because it's something to do with the spinal column. The the chip in his brain. Right. So there's was, uh, a malfunction, it right? So there's something going on there that's kind of like just pushing his buttons to the point that he's always angry or whatever. And so he's kind of the first one that they managed to fix the chip with. And uh, Doc Ock is like, yeah, Octavius. He's kind of like, he's you know, like, thank you because his um, his legs were actually taking over, like right. thinking for him. Right. The, the, yeah, because he couldn't control them all the time. And uh, so once it's fixed, he you know he has control of everything again, and he's, he's there's not so much pressure or pain in his head, uh, or the voices as he would say that he's much much happier. So he's obviously ready to help the rest of them, and you know they come up with these different devices, and one of course is for Goblin, but Goblin, you know the personality he snaps, snaps real fast, and that's when shit changes, and of course he's. Goblin's able to convince the rest, even with Ock, you know, or at least we know, supposedly know, that uh, you can't be trusted. Parker can't be trusted. So then there's like this blow up at the apartment, or it was Blonde Happy, uh, and that's where the machine's uh, science equipment was and all that. So, you know, there's chaos there. The guy, the villains escaped. They're all got certain, like, even Electro has like, someone's like the Iron Man. Device, yeah, that really gives him a lot of power. Because that's the one thing that um, this Peter Parker said, like, we're way more advanced in this, you know, multiverse than your time is. Especially, like, when they saw, like, the nanotechnology in his suit. And so they're like, he's like, I we should fix them. We should be able to take care of them. Right. And one thing that Parker uh, in this timeline wanted was, you know... He, did, he doesn't really want to kill people. He, that's not his agenda. You know, he, He's a kid, and he wants to stop bad people, obviously, but he doesn't want them to die. So that becomes a, a regular theme throughout this film. But after this breakout by the villains, uh, in the process, Aunt May is killed. Like, I forget, was she shot? No, they were, I mean... Or it felt... The, yeah, they, it was... It was uh, what do you call it? Green Goblin, and they were fighting, and then um, because they were going like multiple levels, the uh, floor kind of caved in on her, and right. then um, the SWAT team was coming in, and yeah. So there's this really heart wrenching part with now Parker and Aunt May, and you know she's passing away in front of him in his arms, and you know he's he's now angry at Goblin, <laughs> like he's really mad. But, but then, she said, like, 
with great power comes great responsibility, mm -hmm. and she believes in Parker. And but she also, you know, she she really felt like she's the one who is like we need to help these people because. Peter at first was was kind of listening to Doctor Strange like he's like we have to send these people back contain them and then you know Aunt May when she saw um Osborne and he just looks like a homeless person basically um she thought that he showed up there yeah because yeah. he showed up at her soup kitchen like she really wanted to help him not just uh you know send him back and and that is why um, Peter was was so willing. willing, and he really wanted to make he wanted to do it because his aunt was always about helping people. Right. So after Ma dies, you know uh, Parker's kind of angry, and uh, but there's this point now between that point and the re reemergence of the villains that they're going to fight uh where mj and ned or and ned <laughs> he's got the ring that usually belongs on dr strange's hand so ned's playing around he can open up these portals uh it's probably the one part that i think is a little silly uh i know why it's there it's it's kind of needed for the specific plot that we have going on um but they end up opening a portal to two other Spider-Men who they because they're looking for Spider-Man. But looking they, for but Peter Parker, those Peter Parkers came. It wasn't they opened the portal when well, when, they they, did, when, when they, he cast the spell. Anybody who knew Spider-Man's actual identity came to this universe, and they were coming. And those two other Spider-Men came to their universe too right but i'm talking portal where he can open up a doorway and they can walk through to them and that's what they did and we find out that um i gotta feel bad because i don't remember the second spider-man andrew here. garfield yes uh of course toby mcguire from the first one yeah and, and andrew garfield this whole time because they didn't show him in any of the trailers or anything he was like i'm not, I'm in, not in this movie i'm not in this movie so I'm kind of like, I'm glad he kind of like kept that up because mm -hmm. that's kind of fun. Yeah, and, you know, McGuire's portraying a much older Spider-Man, which is kind of cool because his character, of Peter Parker, shows some growth. Like, you know, he talks about how, like, he kind of wishes he hadn't had those incidents with the other guys where they would died. You know, that's... Mm -hmm. Which, in some ways, you kind of knew from the films, because, you know, he was close with Osborne because of Osborne's son and everything else. And he, you kind of hear references from that from Tobey Maguire's Parker when Ned asks him about questions, like, oh, yeah, my best friend tried to kill me once. <laughs> Not, you know, for anyone who's ever seen those films, you would know that Osborne's son ended up becoming Green Goblin as well. Uh, but... That whole thing with those three, it was really kind of cool. Um, you know, you kind of deal with the sorrow that uh, Hollins Parker's dealing with for a little while. Uh, dealing with that May and everything. And then, I'm trying to write, because what, what are they going to do finally? They're just going to send them back when they decide to call them to the one place? Or no, they, they were going to attach the devices they initially planned uh, to, like, shut them down or whatever to help them out like Ock already had his 
the goblin and the others had. Yeah, but, they called them the cures. Right. So they were going to kind of broadcast where they were going to be, or at least Parker was. They didn't even know about the other two Spider-Man right away. Um, so, of course, they come, and uh, one by one, they try to give them the cures, and they, for most of them, they do. All of them, eventually, but... Uh, there's a lot of fighting going on, a little portals. Uh, they left MJ with the box with the, <laughs> with uh, the spell in it, so they had to try to avoid being chased down by the villains. And uh, at first it was kind of chaotic. The three Spider-Men couldn't really get along as far as like how they were going to fight them, so there was like, you know, off and on. They were kind of getting their butts kicked a little bit here and there. And then finally... And, the, and he's like, you guys have never been part of a team. I... Was part of the Avengers. And they're like, what is... is, what is that? Or no, he was like, oh, that's cool, Andrew Garfield. What is no, that, that like Toby. A, or Toby. Is, is that like a band? Yeah. And he's like, you don't have the Avengers in, in your... And they're like, no, no. He's like, that's cool, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really like how they, um, they played off of, like, their... Spider-Man stories are different Spider-Man stories, and that's kind of how the comics are. Um, you got to think how many years of Spider-Man that we've had, right? Mm -hmm. And the comics are big and bloated and years and years and years of different universes and different things happening and what-if comics and different um, villains. Um, oh, I love that they had Daredevil in there yeah. as his uh lawyer yeah. that was so great yeah at first when after mysterio's death they were arresting him uh, for basically murder or whatever and then of course uh daredevil's there and his his usual civilian lawyer self and he's <laughs> representing he says well, uh, Parker probably be okay, but Happy, you might be in big trouble. <laughs> so Happy's like, what? You need to get yourself some... Uh... Get a good lawyer. Um, so, yeah, finally, when they start working together, they're able to get the cure into somebody's guys and, you know, help them out and whatnot, and so shut them down, basically. Uh, Goblin, again, is still the, the wild card here. Uh, Osborne is running around, trying to, like, kill them, and... Uh, I'm not going to give too much away in that aspect. Um, there are some very cool, heartfelt things. I never watched the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies, but I know just from this film that there's a moment for him and his personal life because he is one of the Spider-Men that kind his, of really uh, I, I think in his Spider-Man, they did the whole Gwen Stacy um, angle where uh, in that Spider-Man um I can't remember. I swear it was the Green Goblin, but it could have been somebody else. Um, ends up falling off of the bridge. Right. And um, and she dies. Because he couldn't catch Cause her. Because he right? couldn't. Because he couldn't catch her. Now, in history, Gwen Stacy came before MJ, but this is like years, kind of like down the road. Like you know, Gwen Stacy was like his first love, and then MJ was. And then there's there's an MJ in this one, and there there was an MJ in Toby's. So like, but different. Yeah, names. different MJs. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. Um, so when they were talking about like, when he was like, uh, Andrew Garfield was like crying um, about like this happening, he basically was uh, kind of saying, you know, don't let it turn you bitter. 
And yeah. same thing with um, Tobey Maguire. He was like, don't let this your aunt's death turn you bitter because my Uncle Henry died because of me. And that, you know... My my uncle Henry and is is was married to Aunt May basically so they don't I do like well and that's a good point because it it all ties into something that they all kind of said together at one point was you know with great power comes great responsibility and and that's something that they all kind of share because no matter what universe they were in that line has been used uh, in direct to them from whoever they loved or loved mm -hmm. them. So it plays a big part. So despite their universes being a bit different in presentation, they all have similar themes about loss and everything else. Um, so yeah, at the very end, they do manage to get Osborne his cure. In fact, I think it was MJ, modern MJ, who you know puts it into him. Uh, and then Osborne's back, and he's like, "What did I do?" Like he kind of already knows that shit. Had well, gone he, he was saying that like he, it's like split. Mm -hmm. You know, like the movie Split, where yeah. he's like one minute he's himself, and the next minute he's the goblin. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of uh, post-credit scenes you need to check out, which is good. They, you know, they reference different things, so that was a lot of fun. We waited the entire time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so at the very end, though... Um, it, I'm not going to give that away, actually. I think I'm going to leave that because it, it's it's actually a big moment for Spider-Man uh, once the other guys are back in their own time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Strange is a part of that. But uh, it, it's a very big moment for him. And there's actually a very cool scene I think Nick and I both kind of liked and disliked at the same time. Mm -hmm. It was at the, the cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we understood what the decision was, and that's you know that's how it's going to be. I want to leave it at that. <laughs> so uh, I gave it a ten out of ten. I really like this film a lot. Uh, it's probably the best one of the entire series for me. Everybody uh, loved it. Like I mean, even people. I haven't really been. I think sometimes I'm burning out with all this Marvel, and well, I think I think part of part of me there are some movies that I missed. Like I missed the Black Widow movie. I missed um, the Shang Chi movie. I missed the Doctor Strange movie. We know there's going to be another Doctor Strange movie coming out, but now that I've kind of like not watched a lot of Marvel, um, I think that I might be ready to revisit some of these um older ones. older ones that i missed because i just i couldn't keep up with it and then it becomes um almost like overwhelming like you feel like you're missing something and then sometimes these feel like they're they're just thrown in there and they're not really um <sighs> well yeah i mean i've told people before like in terms of Spider-Man, you don't necessarily need to watch the two films to really have the connection. But You don't. But sometimes it is nice to have the little details there. But it, it really... It, it's a film that can hold its own... <coughs> Excuse me, my allergies today. I think it's that stupid new hay for the rabbits. Yeah. I They've been killing me since I opened that bag. 
I know you guys, spoiler alert, we have rabbits, and I didn't get the hay from the place that I normally get it, and it is dusty as hell, and the last, like, three days, all I've been doing is sneezing, and I'm like, I took my, I'm taking my, my hay fever medicine, and I'm using my Flonase, and I'm using my nose spray, and I'm just like, what the fuck? I can't stop, and it's not COVID, people. I know when I'm having an allergy attack because I'm allergic to fucking everything. Like, I know exactly what is going on. So, I, I'm, i like, losing my mind right now because, I don't know if you hear me, I'm very, like, nasally and I'm like... <sighs> anyway. Anyway. I honestly, if you haven't seen any Marvel movies, the movie is written well enough that you can understand what is going on because... I did not see the Doctor Strange movie. I did not, because the other guy, in, I didn't know who he was, but he's part of Doctor Strange's uni universe, and you kind of understand it just because of the way that they, you know, put things in context. So you don't need to see a lot of Marvel or any Marvel because it's well-written and well-directed. And Yeah, see, the funny thing is with uh, Shang-Chi is that uh, I probably have to go back and rewatch that one because that one has a closer relationship with Strange than any of the other mm -hmm. ones. So that one I'll probably have to revisit just to try to put a couple things together. But overall, uh, you know, Black Widow has some nice moments in it, but it's not super necessary. It's a little bit necessary at the end if you're going to tie into the Hawkeye series, but not by a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, it just... There's some films out there. Captain Marvel still, despite having some ties to everything, just isn't that important in the universe. She's and, more important in the like Avengers. Right. Even Black Panther, because we have Civil War where Panther shows up. That's good enough. You don't necessarily see Black Panther the movie to kind of like put everything together. But you know, if you're a fan of the series of the of the universe, then that's great. Just watch them if you can. Disney Plus has them all right now, so. Alright, back into the music. I got some stuff from Six String PR, Horror Pain. Also a request by Kevin for some Tombstone Blue again. Ooh. He really likes that band. But here's uh, Fernwa from Horror Pain Gore Records. It's Approaching Oblivion. We'll be back.
regard black magic as being purely factitious, or is there some truth? Some truth. 100% truth. There is nothing fictitious about black magic. In any way, whatever. It is a fact. It is a fact that it has existed for several thousand years. I mean, when we talk about black magic, we are talking about incredible necromancy, alchemy, witchcraft, worship, Satan, and the worship of dark forces, whether it's voodoo, voodoo, whether it's something practiced in the Western world or the Eastern world, uh, whether it's easy to find or not easy to find, the order of the left-hand path.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. And now we are going to get back into <laughs> tier ranking. We haven't done it in a while, so um, Anubis picked something that is near and dear to both of our hearts. Action movies of the 80s. Yeah, so unlike the horror, uh, a couple changes. Um, we may end up coming back to the 70s or post-2000s. Uh, for action movies, but I think because we're, I have to kind of look at them because I'm not sure how much of it is actually in there in terms of that uh, action movies are concerned. I tried my best to stay away from science fiction and martial arts. However, we do have some in this list for the 80s. So you may see some of these down the road if we do a martial arts tier ranking, which I think we will. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of good martial arts films from the last 40 years out there. Right. Um, but for the sake of this, we kind of kept it more like, you know, Smash and Guns and everything else. Uh, and we'll definitely do the 80s and we're definitely going to do the 90s. We may do 70s and 2000s, but we'll just kind of have to play that by ear. But for this one, we've done the 80s. And the other change is, it, it was kind of unfair, yet not unfair for horror to have a poor... Uh, level, but the reality is there are some pretty bad horror movies mm -hmm. out there. Uh, with action films, it, it's not necessarily as bad. So our bottom tier is basically average. So it's it's like it's okay, um, not the best that you're gonna get out there, but it's not really bad either. It's not like just bad action. We've seen bad action, but we don't really have a lot of, in our particular list. Um, next up is decent. To good, to great, and then best, of course. So we will kick it off with Neko doing her average list of action movies. So I picked... Um, Blind Fury? Well, I have to, like... Again, she's faced with the dilemma of some of these. Some of these I don't remember, or i may not have seen them right so that's kind of where i put these because i don't really remember them and that just tells me something that if i'm not remembering them then they got to be average yeah and you know rugger Hauer had some other pretty decent films in the 80s with action and stuff but i didn't really include them in the list because it's like he was really kind of like on the bottom rung in terms of uh, action heroes. And even though I personally can get some enjoyment out of it, I know Neck has never really seen a lot of his work except for certain things, uh, mainly in comical uh, roles. Um, but Blind Fury is kind of like one of his better ones that are out there, and I know that Neko hasn't seen it. So she put it in average cause mainly because she may get to see it one day, but for now it's kind of like just in her list. Mm -hmm. Blue Thunder is average. They live, Firefox, and The Wraith? Yeah. Or Wraith? You, the Wraith, yeah. That's the Charlie <laughs> Sheen one. Uh, 
obviously I have some issues with a couple of those in there, like three of them. <laughs> Whatever. But that's okay, not a big deal. Would you put in your average? My average is Blue Thunder, uh, decent film, has Malcolm McDowell in it, uh, Roy Scheider, uh, good plot, cool, probably cool for its time, about the helicopter Blue Thunder, but... Not a movie. It's more suspense than action, but um, it's it falls in line with a little bit of action in there. The dogfight between Shire and McDowell is pretty cool. Uh, Blind Fury, I did put in there as well, only because, again, Rugger was like a very good villain in a lot of stuff, and of course he was in Blade Runner, mm -hmm. uh, which we'll probably do a science fiction one at some point where that shows up. But as far as action here, it's like I did like Wanted Dead or Alive. Or uh, Split Second and stuff like that. Again, some of those are like science fiction. The other one is action, but just, again, just not as uh, memorable, I guess, as Blind Fury was. You know, Hucker, Rugger Howard plays like a blind samurai guy who uh, ends up helping out people, of course. And he's, he's always had some very interesting roles, but just not really stood out as an action guy. Uh, he was brilliant in The Hitcher as a villain. Mm -hmm. so. Uh Raw Deal with Schwarzenegger. It's one of Schwarzenegger's probably weakest of his action movies in the 80s for me. And then Dolph Lundgren's The Punisher. Looking back on it, I do like it better than the uh, one that was done in the 2000s. I didn't like that one very much. Uh, Warzone is my favorite. Uh, but next up would be this one by Lundgren, which I saw first, which I did enjoy. So now we're going to go to your decent level. So, I have Death Wish 2 and Next of Kin. Okay. And I think you said you didn't see Next of Kin before, so... I, I had to have because it's Patrick Swayze, but I, I don't remember it. You know what I mean? Right. That's why I'm, again, I gave it such a, high, a higher rating than average because it is Patrick Swayze. And I'm pretty sure I saw it. But if it's something I don't remember... It's it's because I was obsessed with Patrick Swayze. So if it's something I don't remember, then it obviously it's not that memorable. <laughs> okay, you right. know it's uh, my decent list. Maximum Overdrive. Uh, it's a fun movie. I really do enjoy this film a lot. Can border on both horror and science fiction a little bit, but there is a lot of action in it. Uh, Emilio Estevez is in it. Um, decent for me. Uh, missing in action with Chuck Norris. The uh, thing about Chuck Norris is I enjoy some of his movies, obviously, um, but I find that his best movie is Sidekicks for me. <laughs> uh, for I, I love him the, and the, Sidekicks. The, really, the mythology around Chuck is more interesting than some of the movies, and I hate to say that because I do enjoy some of these movies. Um, Mission in Action is very cool. He, he's a soldier that goes back and usually rescues MIAs. And uh, that's really kind of where that's all about with that. Uh, he's done movies like Delta Force, of course, The Octagon, and some of this other stuff that we do enjoy. Mm -hmm. But we may get to a lot more of those in the martial arts tier when we get to that. Uh, Firefox, Clint Eastwood, very good movie. Probably a little more suspense than action, but I, it was listed in there as far as an action film. Uh, there's some very good dogfights with airplanes in there with between Clint and the Russian fighter. Uh, the Golden Child with Eddie Murphy. You put it that low? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Um, good, fun movie. I, I mean, I for me, like you were saying, the, the Chuck Norris, I have such a Chuck Norris bias that 
Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I, everything with Chuck Norris is, is great. Or well, I told you when we were putting this together, this was a very hard thing to do because, you know, look, I can watch any of these anytime, but, like, I can't just shove them all in the greater best. It just wouldn't work. Uh, so I had to kind of, like, level it out to, like, how often I would watch them or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, Golden Child is fun. It has Charles Dance, who we saw in King of the Monsters. Uh, Very good actor. I got the knife. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got the knife. Uh, it's funny. And it has Rat in the soundtrack, so you can't go wrong. Uh, another Chuck Norris Invasion USA. <laughs> Sorry, Chuck. Don't kick my ass. Damn. Um, again, decent movie. No problems with it. Uh, and this one I kind of like went off and on because it's a very underrated Van Damme flick, but compared to some of the other stuff I have in the list, uh, Cyborg, which I do need to own because I do enjoy it. Uh, there are some problems with it. Um, pacing really, I think, is a big deal with it, but um, it's a good movie. Decent. All right, let's get into your good list. All right, you're going to have to help me because... Sure. Okay, so what's the first one? The first one is Commando, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So he, it's a good movie. Yes. But I like some of the others more. Mm-hmm. Above the Law. Steven Seagal. Robocop. Mm-hmm. Cyborg. Right. Raw Deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this one is. Cobra. Cobra. The Punisher. And I don't know what the last one is. I Road can't. Warrior. Road Warrior. Mad Max 2. So, they're good movies. They're okay. I've watched them more than once. Stuff I'd watch probably again. Good background kind of movies that I'd throw on and I wouldn't change the channel. Like, mm. that's kind of how I picture those. Alright, well mine, uh, there's a couple in there I think are the same as yours. Um, maybe not. Uh... Running Man is in my good, uh, good car- category. I love the Running Man. Indiana Jones and a Temple of Doom. Mm, <laughs> damn. You and I have very different ideas in action, don't we? <laughs> Next up, Ken. She's going to slap me. Scarface. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's not like I'm saying it's shit. I mean, come on now. One of the best fucking movies out there. Uh, Billy Hills Cop 2. The Wraith. Kickboxer with John Claude Van (laughs) Robocop. And Cobra with Stallone. And, uh, yeah, so, again, I can watch. These are good films on my list, so I can watch them anytime. No problems. I don't go back to them that often. I think that's why I would have them here. Um, I hate to say it, Scarface might be a little lower if I had to rethink it, but... Wow. <laughs> only because I, I find that just... It, You've seen it one time in your life. <laughs> it's not memorable. <coughs> what? <laughs> Maybe choke on my fucking vape. All right. In your great category. <laughs> she went to town on this one. Well, my great category is just that. They're great. Um, Maximum Overdrive, Missing in Action, Um, Octopussy, what is this? Uh, For Your Eyes Only. For Your Eyes Only, Invasion USA, The Golden Child, First Blood, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Mm -hmm. 
Big Trouble in Big Little Trouble China. in Little China. Terminator. The Terminator, Kickboxer, Living The Living Daylights, Daylights Tango and Cash, Accent Jackson. Uh, what's the next one? Iron Eagle. Iron Eagle. I love that one. And Rambo. These part are ra- two, yeah. Rambo Part Two. So these are all really, really good. Like they're great. That's why they're in the great category. Like mm-hmm. I, I have a prop. Like if it's 007 or Chuck Norris, pretty much I'll watch it. Kickboxer is a movie I can't stop watching. I don't know why. I watch it all the time. But there's another Van Damme that is even better, and that goes in my best list. But we'll get to that when we hit best. Get ready for controversy. Oh, Jesus Christ. Go ahead. In my great list, Commando. Bloodsport. Mm. Octopussy. They Live. Very underrated, but I, I just don't think Neko remembers that one. Um, Above the Law, one of Seagal's best. Beverly Hills Cop, First Blood, Living Daylights, Action Jackson, Rambo, First Blood Part 2, Iron Eagle, and Lethal Weapon. Mm-hmm. Any problems with my list there? Not more problems with your good list. Like, I think some of your good stuff is actually better than good. You're right. Um, All right, into your best list. I don't know what the first one is. That is The Running Man. I love The Fucking Running Man. I love The Running Man. Here's Sub-Zero. Right, Sub-Zero. I don't know I don't know why I love The Running Man. I love it a lot. Escape from New York mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Yep. Um... Blood sport, and then I, when we were putting this together, I I kept saying to Anubis, I was like, all right, do I look blood sport or kickboxer more? And I'm like, blood sport, definitely yeah. blood sport. I can't tell what the next one is. Aliens. Aliens. That's a fucking good movie. Now I'll probably show up in like a sci-fi one if we do one. So. I mean, it's kind of funny, like. But compared to like the original, it's more action based, mm-hmm. a lot more going on. What what cracks me up is like. Somebody wrote a synopsis like about aliens where it was like nobody listened to the woman and everybody died except mm-hmm. for her. Like I'm like, yeah, that just <laughs> she knew what was up. Yeah. Uh, what's <laughs> the next one? I can't tell. Uh, that is uh, lethal weapon. Oh yeah, lethal weapon is important to me. I um I know they got a little bit more campy. As they are, um, as they evolve, but like Lethal Weapon, when you the first Lethal Weapon has so it's more than just a, a comedy. It it's like you see this character that is is hurting, and then he's trying to get himself back together. And there's so much action and like yeah, there's a it's interesting about that series because all four films are really good, mm-hmm. and I heard they're kind of trying to work on a fifth. I hope mm-hmm. they do it, but. The third one, probably the weakest of them all. However, that's sort of like when we were introduced to Joe Pesci's character mm-hmm. in that one. But he's kind of expanded upon the fourth one. So, but those first two films are fucking amazing. Like, uh, Gibson and Glover are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. This. And this is sort of at the height of when Glover started doing Predator 2 and some of these other films. So, And you know how much I love Predator 2. Yeah. Like, but it's this is like the start of the buddy cop. Yeah, yeah. This is what, like, the buddy cop is. And then that they created it. 
The next one, Highlander. Highlander. I mean, come on now. There can be only one. Only one. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Um, I, I mean, I those two are, to me, it's like... Yeah, it gets very weak after that. Like, it's, it's like... You can enjoy three and four, but not as much as... It's just something about, like... Well, three is the one with Sean Connery. So, right? Or is two? Is he no, in three? No, is right, because yeah. four is the one with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. So, three, I'm good. But, like, it's just something about... I love archaeology, and I love, um... Like, we were talking about National Treasure the other day, and that new movie that's coming out. Uncharted? Uncharted, yeah. Yeah. Like, I love things like that so much. I'm I'm not not calling myself a history buff, but I love, um, I love learning about little niches, and that's one of the reasons why I watch a lot of documentaries. Like, I know that when we start getting to the 90s, and I'm pretty sure the National Treasure movies came out during that time. I think it was 98 or 99, yeah. Those are very underrated flicks for Nick Cage. I know mm-hmm. people really love him, but if you have not seen those, those are very worth your time. Uh, very rated a Lost Arkish. Um, very, uh, it's not like Spy or anything, but you just have a lot of cat and mouse type it, it, stuff going It's on. the mystery. It's right. the learning of the things. Yep. And I always love, like, the Illuminati, too. That's another thing. You know, I love things like that. I love thinking that the Freemasons have, like, a secret society. I'm trying to get Anubis to join the, the Freemasons so he can tell me all their secrets, but he'll probably get brainwashed and not tell me any of them. <laughs> but, alright, so the next one is Beverly Hills Cop. I think you and I quote that, like, a hundred times a week. All yeah, the time. Yeah. I mean, like, every day. Scarface, because fucking Tony Montana. I mean, I love can't believe he gave it so low. It's got hot Michelle Pfeiffer in her, like, most Michelle Pfeiffer. I love you, Michelle. Don't hate me. Dude, when he has that mound of fucking cocaine and, oh, and that whole end scene, the entire end scene. Say hello to my little friend. Right? Oh, my God. (laughs) He's seen it once. That's why I get irritated, like, because it gets better every time because you start quoting... She's gonna purposely buy it now. Oh, I am. That's that's gonna be my next pick of the week. So sorry, not sorry. Um, die Hard because Die Hard. Christmas. <laughs> the next Lethal Weapon two. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I mean, I think it deserves to be in the best. I wanted as to well. go back to that because in the first one, despite having a bit of a smaller role, Gary Busey's in that. And he plays a very good Joshua, which you know he's a bad guy in that. And oh yeah. And, Lethal Weapon 2, you have, uh, I don't know if it stands out as much as Busey's character, but you have, uh, David Warner as one of the bad guys, and, of course, the whole thing that we always want, diplomatic immunity! Diplomatic! It's just been revoked! (laughs) We do that shit a lot, too, so. Love that. And then Predator, again, another one of our... I, I love Predator 2 as well. I mean, sometimes I think I like Predator 2 more than you, Predator. You've stated that, yeah. And we, I don't know how many times we've seen both of them. And like, Want some candy? Want some candy? That says Predator 2. But, like, <laughs> in Predator, like, that scene where he's, like, covered in mud and mm-hmm. he's figured out, like, he's got the uh, infrared and... 
he like come out and he's like boom 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 yeah that is fucking awesome and i am a big arnie fan that's kind of like when we were talking about um jingle all the way like i actually have that on vhs i should have brought it down last night for the uh for the verses but i got that as a present when i when i was in high school from my mom because she knew i was a big arnold schwarzenegger fan and i don't think she realized like it wasn't like your typical arnold schwarzenegger movie but predator is two thumbs <clears throat> two thumbs up last but not least and definitely not least is roadhouse and i don't know how many times i've seen this movie i can't count how many times i could probably this is the first penis i ever saw because at the end when um Patrick's, that's important people the yeah, first penis first penis at the end when patrick Sweezy is naked running into the um lake with his girlfriend my my girlfriend and i would pause it pause 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 yes Just, for all you guys who used to take shit about watching the playboy channel with the, the scrambled lines yeah. this is what you get on the other side is don't let them fool you they go looking for the penis and you know patrick Swayze is the triple threat he is he's an amazing you know action star an amazing dancer he is this well-carried man and he's handsome and he's he's got the rugged cowboy because he was a rugged cowboy he and his wife um lisa remy they were dancers together in the same ballet company and also had their own ranch so it's like they they had both sides and the one thing that always like i love in roadhouse is like the throat grab where he rips out his throat and then in blade wesley snipes does the same thing mm -hmm. so in between those two movies there was two wong fu thanks for everything julie newmar that came out in like 94 i think and wesley snipes and um patrick swayze were in it and i feel like wesley snipes probably like he's like hey man uh do you mind if i use that in my next movie because i want to do that that throat grab thing that you did in Roha roadhouse like i i can picture them having that conversation for some reason oh, yeah. while they were doing the drag movie because it's like the biggest action stars are suiting up for their what did they say like that's how that was basic sort of the the teaser trailer was mm -hmm. it's like what do you do when you take the biggest action star? It's like they'd show like clips of Swayze or Wesley Snipes and Leguizamo, who was more known for comic, but he, he was, was in all these action movies right. too, as like the he comic was actually relief. in Die Hard too for a split. Yeah, second. so I something like with Roadhouse and Patrick Swayze, like of course, right before Roadhouse was Dirty Dancing, and we've seen that over... I cry at the end when nobody puts Ooh. baby in the corner. So, I... I just have such a soft spot for Patrick Swayze, like, you know, um, The Outsiders. I'm trying to think of all the stuff that he's done. Um, I... But Roadhouse just... I mean, it's up there for me with Dirty Dancing. I could watch it every day. Well, my best of list, there's going to be some that are similar to yours. Okay. And others higher. Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. Snake Plissken. 
Kurt Russell. Got and see, like, I what did I have as as the first one, The Running Man? Like yeah. I love The Running Man, but you had it like much lower. Right. Ah, uh, Death Wish Two, the best of the Death Wish series for me, the darkest of the series for me. A uh, couple of things. I saw that first out of all the Death Wish movies, and it was also a film that featured, I believe, both. Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum, and maybe Goldblum was in the first one as a thug. I can't remember. Both were playing thugs in these movies, uh, opposite of Charles Bronson. But uh, it was very disturbing, and it just sticks with you. It's the kind of film that's very uh, tough to watch, uh, very controversial in a lot of ways. Uh, but it, I, I was always happy about the vindication at the end for uh, Bronson's character. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, definitely up there on my list. Aliens, of course. Mm -hmm. Again, the best of the series. I like a lot of the Alien movies, regardless. Um, but this one is like the top of the cake. Yeah, it's like, uh, like I said, it's a story about where no one would listen to the woman, and then everybody dies. But her. Yeah. Oh, what did we, we were watching that, um, that doc about aliens, right? And who was in it that they had to switch out? Crap, I forgot who it was. It was a big name, too, and then they had to switch it out and put um, Paxton in. Oh, I forget. Yeah, but I, I yeah I recall there was like a big actor that was supposed to do it, but Paxton did a wonderful mm -hmm. job. In fact, I, it's so much fact uh, that he played, uh, I think it was Hicks. Wasn't he playing Hicks? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he is a memorable character in that film. He wasn't a major one, but he was a memorable character in that film. So, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. James Remar. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Richard Wright. Um, Highlander, of course. Of course. Uh, For Your Eyes Only. For Your Eyes Only. Big Trouble in Little China, of course. I put that down just a little bit. I don't know why. Maybe I do almost feel like I Well, should've... I can tell you that between my best and great list, I could probably interchange them and I mm -hmm. wouldn't feel bad about it because they're just that close. Mm -hmm. uh, Terminator. Now, I'm surprised you had yours lower than this with Schwarzenegger, but... Because I liked Terminator 2 so much more than the first Terminator. I and again, that's kind of funny. When we get to the 90s, that will show up. That is a bit more... It's still sci-fi, but not as much as the first one. So there's a little bit more action in the second one. So to you, you and I will agree. The second one is better than the first one, but... And I think that's why it kind of got bumped down to good for me. Because the second one had s such a bigger impact. However, even though I like Predator 2... More than Predator. More than Predator 1, I think the first Predator can hold its own and I mm -hmm. think and see the thing is too what I like about Predator and Predator 2 is it's two completely different stories right. whereas Terminator and Terminator 2 are like interlinked and Gary Busey's in Predator 2 that's right yeah you see lions tigers and bears oh my <laughs> Uh, Busey, Busey makes every film great. You know, I, I can't wait to get to the ninth because there are uh, a lot of great movies in that decade because despite how great the 80s were, the 90s had some very good shit. We're talking about like Point Break, Terminator 2, Predator 2, stuff like this. Mm -hmm. so a lot of this stuff's got a lot of great stuff in there. Even Schwarzenegger's still doing his thing and Stallone. So we'll be getting to some of that at that point. Uh, where was I? Um, Sorry. That's okay. Oh, uh, Tango on Cash. 
Another buddy cop movie between Kurt Russell and Stallone. Very underrated. People don't talk about it too much, but it's definitely one of my favorites the first time I ever saw it. I didn't see it in the theaters. I did see it on VHS at the rental store. Fell in love with it. Bought it immediately uh, when I could. Die Hard. No-brainer. We're going to get to a lot more of his stuff in the 90s, but the first one is still a Christmas movie. I don't care what anybody says. Lethal Weapon 2. I actually had this above Lethal Weapon only because, again, uh, they upped it a notch in terms of the action. The storyline was really good. Uh, again, you can't go wrong with either one. I can interchange them with no problem. Both are great films. All four of them are great. I literally, the fourth one's actually very, very good. That's the one where they introduced Jet Li. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of cool shit in that film um, for people who have not seen that series. Predator, as Neko said, great film, but you know, I may end up putting Predator 2 in the same category in the next decade. Uh, people really underrate Predator 2. Uh, really, since then, we've had these discussions about these films on Samurai's channel. Really, they have not done this franchise any justice since these two movies. They have not. They've tried numerous times. Uh, I can get by with Alien vs. Predator Requiem a little bit. Even the first Alien vs. Predator has some redeeming moments, but overall they've really kind of failed the entire franchise in terms of the Predator movies. It's just not been very good. Uh, Roadhouse, again. It's one of great. the best things I've ever seen yeah, in my entire life. Again, I didn't see it in the theater, but I went and watched it on VHS. And I was like, wow. This is probably one of the best... Patrick Swayze films I've ever seen. This is amazing. Like the action's great, story is great. Don't care about his buns, but you know Neca does, of course. I do. I do. <laughs> and Sam Elliott's in it. Yes. I mean. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then finally, Road Warrior, Mad Max Two. Uh, out of the entire series, this is my favorite of the bunch. So it was naturally going to make it into this. I actually saw this before Mad Max. Love Mad Max. So if we end up doing a seventies. That will probably show up on the list. It could show up on a science science fiction list. It just depends. Uh, I have never really gravitated to any of those Mad Max, Road Warrior, even the newer ones. Fury I like, Road, yeah. Yeah, I just kind of like, eh. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this was a lot of fun. It was very difficult, and I knew it would be because there's a lot of these films that I could watch at any time with no problem. Mm -hmm. uh, but I try to be objective about how they fared in my life and where they ranked like as I you and I said best and great can probably just collide together and we wouldn't care you could have 20 of them in there they're just some really great films we love action movies martial arts might be a little more trickier because then we're going to have to kind of revisit some shit because some of these uh, Chuck Norris movies can also be thrown into martial arts, too, because Chuck was heavy into the martial arts. Like, that's what he did. Right, and well, that's really his, his card, because even if you were somebody who watched Walker, Walker, Texas Ranger, martial arts was used in that. That's what Chuck was all about. So he is a martial arts action star, uh, but he did do a lot of films that were like, guns and everything else compared to say Bruce Lee or whatever but you know we'll revisit a lot of that when we get to that point but uh, this was a lot of fun I enjoyed doing this I do too 
All right, well, let's get into our other block of music. Um, we've got some new stuff from Space Lug, uh, also Cadaver and Elder with a collaboration. But uh, Scarlet Records sent over this band a while ago. I wanted to get it out of the way, get some stuff in there for you all. It's a band called Nocturna. I think they're a symphonic metal with a couple of ladies. So it's called Daughters of the Night. And we'll be back in a few.
Patrick from the Canadian Press Metal band Reanimator, and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Back with you on the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Closing out that block, Cadaver and Elder getting together to do a collaboration called Blood Moon Night. Nice. So we're getting ready to get into our rock block. On the way, I've got Cosmic Cold War, Red Roll, Menorah, Chaos Fear, Neko's Pick of the Week. Because mm-hmm, I'm special. Uh-huh. Uh, also, a lot of stuff provided by Reaction Management, Angel PR, Hard Life Promotions, and Jay-Z Press. Kick it off, though, with another request. This is for Kevin's friend. I don't know the name, I don't think, but uh, either way, it's for Kevin's friend. Kevin. It is also for you, Kevin! Uh, obviously, it's called uh, Inside the Fire by Disturbed, and uh, we're going to get going here and check it out. We'll be back. <laughs> Control. 
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you out.
right. We are back. We are back. Now Neko's pick of the week, and she's going to explain what she has in store for us. <laughs> you didn't have to, like, give an explanation on my explanation. Sure I did. It's an intro. Intro. It's Neko's pick of the week. Woohoo! So, <clears throat> I always like seeing bands who are really creative and can kind of like go with the times and also produce good mu music. So, this week I was uh, thinking about Duran Duran. And you think of them in the 80s, you've got this like kind of modern, new wave, pop rock kind of sound. Like Anubis and I really like Hungry Like the Wolf. Like, Hungry Like the Wolf. Hungry Like the Wolf. So, I mean, they're great. Like, they sound like the 80s. So, I think it was in. 1993 Duran Duran came out with a self-titled album Duran Duran and they had a really big single called Ordinary World and I gravitated to it really fast like I was totally into it and um, what's interesting is the song itself is it's an homage to loved ones who have died and it kind of serves as a remembrance of you know times before and you know the the lyrics kind of make you think of like back in the day or just little tidbits like that and, and, you know right now with christmas people are um thinking about people who have passed um I know sometimes, like, I have a very close friend who just lost her dad, you know, a week before Christmas, and when you think about times like this, it's one of the harder times a year to kind of, like, deal with loss. <clears throat> so, what I really liked about this song is it, it's very surf it's surface level but it's beautiful because like one of the lyric the very first line is came in from a rainy thursday on the avenue thought i heard you talking softly um and then i turned on the lights the tv and the radio still i can't escape the ghost of you so hearing that it's like already setting up the song to be very melancholy and it's kind of impressive because, you know, it's it's the 90s. Alternative is really taking over. Duran Duran has um, flipped themselves and really embraced the alternative feel. And what I found kind of fun, because they're going with this entire album, it, it is kind of a little bit more alternative melancholy sound. And they are really trying to pay homage to their family and friends on the cover I don't know if you've ever seen the cover of the album Duran Duran the cover is kind of it looks like almost like a scrapbook and it just says Duran Duran like in the middle but it's not even facing up it's like Duran Duran um, vertically right and 
all of the pictures that are superimposed are of the band members' parents from their weddings or from like prom or I'm trying to look at the other picture, but it, it, they, they said, the band members said, these are our parents, you know, from prom or wedding, etc. And I kind of like, I don't know. I was young and I fell in love with the song and it's always kind of like stuck with me. So while we're thinking about it and because it's Christmas, I, you know, Anubis picked a good song for this because usually what I do is I give him like a list of stuff that I'm, I'm digging and he picked it for this week and I'm like, this is a good one for this week. I mean, it really is. This is the time of year. Like what we, I like about the song is it's, it, in a way, it shows a bit of maturity from Duran Duran's songwriters, for mm -hmm. one, because it talks about, like you said, they're integrating themselves into the alternative rock 90s era scene. You know, they're coming off the 80s pop stuff. So it's a very mature approach to their album, not just the song, but the album itself. And then, uh, just lyrically, they kind of grew and. I just I don't know. It's a, it's a, as you said, it's a nice song for this time of the year because it's a song about reflection a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's a I thought it was a solid pick. I'd kind of forgotten about it a little bit, but I don't even know. I think it popped up on um, our favorite radio station, and we have a radio station here in Baltimore. It's just called the Bay, and it plays all kinds of classics from the '90s. So on back, 80s, yeah. yeah. I mean, you might hear Foo Fighters and then hear Led Zeppelin, and I was kind of shocked that I hadn't heard this song in a while, and I said, you know what? This song, you know, it is a little bit more mellow than what we listen to, but, you know... If well, it's definitely a ballad, but, like, again, in terms of the rock and where it fits, it, it works. I mean, they're, they're, you're sh we're showing the evolution of Duran Duran into mm. a more alternative style. And, you know, we, we've talked about this where, like, the the Alan Parsons Project. That is a super, it's almost Yacht Rock. <laughs> it's like, at this point, that, that um, Eye in the Sky is almost Yacht Rock. It's cut, but it's good. And we have learned from watching the Beatles documentary get back how important Alan Parsons himself was in being involved with lots not just the Beatles but lots of different you know production and sound design for some of our favorite classic artists mm -hmm. so with this Duran Duran is a very solid band and they were important during the new wave and then they also came in and made themselves important during the alternative era and that's hard to do and i mean duran duran has many albums that i haven't even listened to they were busting things out in the in the 2000s and i feel like i might need to take a listen because they're really that good so for this week please enjoy duran duran's ordinary world attention please Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. 
Jam will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, Audio Jump. Let's welcome DJ Neko's pick of the week.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. Alright, we are back. We're back! And my father-in-law has already started. What does it say? Sent me a text. Just practicing for tomorrow. Ho, ho, ho. You need to add him to the contacts. Or do you know his number by heart now? Well, if that's his number, then I'll just add it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually I have your mom's. Yeah. We're always on, like, some kind of group chain thing. Yeah. Yeah, he... So, like, we will probably get there earlier than required. But they're like, oh, yeah, come over at, like, 9. We're going to breakfast and stuff. Just for that, I'm going to get there at 5 a.m. I mean, we could. I honestly, like, I am kind of like a little kid on Christmas Eve. Sometimes I just, like, I stay up all night. I usually wrap presents, but somehow I wrap every single present before Christmas Eve. Um, But usually my routine is I stay up all night and I wrap all the presents and I I watch Christmas movies. But I kind of got the wrapping out of the way, you know, like a week ago, and I did, I feel like I did okay, I, I, um, probably spent way too much money, but it's Christmas, and whatever, it'll make people happy. It's once a year. It's once a year, and it's not even a fraction of what my parents have spent. The weed is so strong, I could taste it. I think, I'm, I, at first I thought, like, so this is so gross, but I thought, like, at first you burped. And I'm like, am I, am I smelling his breath? And then I'm like, because, like, is our... That, is that a fart I taste? Right? So, our neighbor smokes weed. And I don't care. I don't. But I can, we, we can smell it through our walls. They're brick and concrete. But we used to have another neighbor on the other side who also smoked weed. So it was like we were getting double doses of weed. Double whammy. All right, so what's up? The next topic we got is one that Neck is not too familiar, with, but I'm gonna go through it with you all because you tell me, you, it's t- a you big educate thing. me. So The Witcher Two dropped on Netflix about a week ago. I think last Saturday, I fucking like binge watched it in one day. Pretty like, much, yeah. Uh, but there's interesting because some of the articles I've been reading are touching on things that I kind of felt about the first season. Now, I fell in love with the first season mainly because I love the action. Henry Cavill, to me, looks the part of Superman when he plays it and uh, Justice League and all that, but is not a very good Superman to me. I like Christopher Reeves in that role, just with more character. However, in The Witcher, uh, Cavill does a, a great job as Geralt, who is the Witcher here in this, in this, the main character in this series, now, the first season, much like what I agree with some of these recent articles, is that the first season threw way too many characters at you too fast. And so we were doing a lot of doubling back to past and, you know, the setups for each character with Yennefer, Siri. Now, I did watch a couple of episodes, and because I didn't know, like, the plot, I was a little confused, but I could still really appreciate, like, what was going on. Well, one thing you did notice when I was watching a couple of episodes this season was you're like, yeah, the choreography is really good with the fighting. And it's true. That was one of the things that drew me about the first season is the sword fighting and the fight scenes. 
And basically, Geralt is a witcher who is sort of half human, half witch hunter, I guess, and uh, will go and search out uh, monsters to kill and witches and all these demons and stuff. He gets wrapped up sort of in this thing where some of these other characters, like Jennifer, who's this woman who was kind of sort of deformed when she was young, uh, but has sort of like this magical background. So she went to this like uh, school of witchcraft, I guess, and learned how to use magic. And somehow, I forget, I'd have to go back and watch the first season, but she was able to <laughs> reimagine herself to this beautiful woman uh, with magic and whatnot. And she becomes another pivotal character in the series, as well as Siri, who's this young blonde girl who born from a mother and father whose mother was uh, into witchcraft and magic, whereas the father was not. He was just mainly like a king warrior. Uh, but she ends up losing her parents, and she's staying with her uh, aunt and uncle who raised her and whatnot. She soon starts to discover her magic powers in Season 2. Cool thing about Season 2 is it's a little more streamlined with the stories, so that we're not having a lot of jumping around back and forth. It's a little more straightforward. Uh, it's easier to follow. Um, we also start to dive into Geralt's uh, background as a witcher, where we are introduced to basically like his clansmen uh, of other witchers, uh, and one of them who is his mentor. That's a guy, I think, who was in the Game of Thrones series for a while. Uh, and also at this point, we have Geralt, now escorting Ciri as, you know, kind of looking over her as like a young daughter. And uh, we don't, we start finding later on because he, he had a, uh, Geralt kind of had a relationship with Yennefer at one point without really realizing who she was and vice versa. It's kind of like we, we knew they were powerful, but uh, they parted ways from, from, from some differences they had. Uh, but then were reunited because of where they had met because Jennifer was being influenced uh, in season three or season two, excuse me, influenced by a, a more powerful witch. So it was Jennifer and a couple other women who were being promised certain things by this like head demon witch. And part of the, the trade-off was that Jennifer had to go and kidnap Siri and bring her to this witch. And, uh, of course, she had a change of heart at some point. I don't want to give too much away because it's really brand new, but... You watched this. Like, when you were watching, you were, like... Hey, I, su I surprised myself because, like, I was just sitting there and I was like, well, maybe I'll get a couple episodes in before I knew it the season was over. I was like, well, that's it. Cool. Uh, but, yeah, I was really, really into it. It's really well done. Um, one thing the article I was reading pointed out was that, you know... This is one of those series that Netflix needs to just pick up the ball and keep running with it because it, it's pretty strong. It's It's got a good following and as far as viewership. Um, there's a few series that Netflix has that Neko and I like, uh, but I don't know how long some of those are going to last. I know we had the one that was a Good Girls mm -hmm. with your girl in it. Um, and then there's this other one I haven't even got back to yet because... It's something I have to kind of be in the mood for, but it's like sex, sex education or something has uh, Gillian Anderson in it from X-Files. Scully! Yeah. 
Uh, it's a really funny show, and it's pretty clever, but uh, it's just something I have to really be in the mood for. But I hope they don't discontinue it. Uh, that's one of the dangers of what's going on, because Netflix now is, ever since they started making their own content, they've kind of grown outgrown themselves a little bit to the point that, oh, we have... Like, I heard that the new Bebop series with the animation is already canceled after it's one not, season. It's not, it's not animation. It's, so it's live it's action. Live action one. So, yeah, that one's already done. Like, they are no longer going to do anything more with that. So, they failed with that one, apparently. But, uh... Because they didn't get very good reviews from the fans. But... But that's the thing. Like, they have certain series that Neko and I like that we really enjoy. And they got great docs on there a lot of times. And, you know, we... What was the one we watched about? Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just... They have great content. They're doing a good job, but they, sometimes you can overtake too much stuff, too much content to the point that you start losing people. This is what I was saying about, you know, all of our friends on YouTube. Like, I feel like I can't keep up with all of the uh, subscriptions. It, it, the same thing, like, with our... There's a couple of things coming out. Um, on One on Netflix. It's French. You're going to love it. It's about a girl and her father... They move in with their uncle, and um, the mother had passed away, and they find a pup. They think it's a dog, but it's really a wolf. Oh, it, yeah, you were talking about yeah, that. And yeah, you and were, you were going to, it gives you all the feels, like, right in the trailer for it. And I'm like, Anubis is going to love this, because he loves wolves, and then he loves feeling all crying and stuff at times, too. He loves getting hit in the feels. <laughs> Like that commercial, that Chevy commercial. Yeah. Oh my God! Oh. But yeah, The Witcher. You know, a lot of great acting in it. Uh, for those that enjoy fantasy films or series, uh, this is something good. Like, um, check it out. I don't like. I spent a whole lot of time on it, but you know, there's just so much involved. Like, I have to go back and watch the first season just to kind of get a grasp on everything again, in terms of each character. Season two is much easier to follow. Uh, it's straightforward, has a lot of great action in it, and good storytelling. Uh, but just be forewarned: if you watch season one first, just probably have to pay attention a little harder because they are jumping around a bit, and that's one of the problems with it, uh, so to speak. But uh, overall, first two seasons are very strong. I really like it a lot. Um, so I'll probably be following this down the road. So what was your favorite part about The Witcher? Like, is it is it the storyline? Is it the fight scenes? Is it, I mean... Honestly, because I don't... Like, most people know The Witcher from the books and the, the game. Uh, for me, I don't know either. And that's the funny thing about some people who end up watching these things like Harry Potter. I never read the books. I do enjoy the movies. This is the same thing. Now, I, the most biggest thing I enjoy about The Witcher is the character of girl like i really mm-hmm. like the character i like who he is what he does uh i like his wit and uh you know and there is a sense that with Geralt this season that whereas he seemed far more cold-hearted in the first season he's starting to loosen up more and be a little more human uh in the second part where he's not as quick to kill things like there's these moments where he's having to face off against uh, demons and witches and stuff that he's supposed to kill right away that he sort of like hesitates because he's like should I give it a chance it's almost like when we watch Spider-Man mm-hmm. and Redemption stuff it, it's somewhere in that theme where it's going to go in the end I don't know uh, some people have said 
they don't care for the Witcher series because it doesn't match what they've done with the books. And I know that can be a problematic for people who are used to certain things when they read it, like Harry Potter, same thing. If they didn't, if they loved the books, they didn't always like the movies. I didn't have that problem because I didn't have to worry about anything to compare it to, except for, as the end, I think I discussed it some time back, I read like the cliff notes after Half Brother Prince uh, to kind of get a feeling of what was going to happen in the Deathly Hollow films. And some stuff that was changed kind of bothered me. Uh, but not enough to hate the ending movies, but just that I knew that, like, oh, man, they should have just kept this in there because that was really good. That was a very emotional part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they changed some stuff that I didn't like. But for me with The Witcher, since I have no prior knowledge of the series or anything like that, uh, it's easy for me just to kind of get hooked into it. It's fun fantasy film or series and good CGI, not overdone good action and choreography with the fights interesting characters and uh they don't mind saying fuck yeah i know they were medieval times (laughs) fuck yeah so but uh check it out and we're gonna get back into our music here Uh, a little bit of black metal coming your way in different forms uh kick it off some brand new stuff from imanez called first renegade and we will be back
Spotlight presents Real American Heroes. Real American Heroes. Today we salute you, Mr. Golf Ball Washer Inventor. Mr. Golf Ball Washer Inventor. The time-honored game of golf is the sport of kings. And kings don't play with dirty balls. Don't play dirty. Because of you, we can give our balls a sudsy tumble at every tee. The result? Clean, shiny balls every time we whack them. Flying high. Drive after drive, putt after putt, hole after hole. Our dimpled balls stay clubhouse clean. Keep on driving. So crack open an ice cold Bud Light, Mr. Launderer on the links. You are in our thoughts every time we jiggle our balls. Mr. Golf Ball Washer Inventor. Bud Light Beer, Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Alright! We are back! Gotta talk a little bit about Ninja Turf, aka LA Fighters. LA Fighters or LA Street Fighters street is also fighters. their. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, so, yeah, in the 80s, I saw this, I ran it on VHS. Not knowing who any of the actors were, performers, and uh, as far as like uh, more at that time, more modern martial arts slash drama movie, uh, I felt kind of in love with it. And I think it was very early on in Neko and I's relationship that uh, she had a knack for finding stuff that I was looking for, whether it's like a CD or a movie. I still do. To a point. She ended up finding this, like, collection of four movies uh, all in one, and Ninja Turf was one and of them. And you had mentioned you were looking for Ninja Turf for a while. Right. And uh, so, basically, the movie uh, starring John Chong and Philip Ray, who went on to do... Philip Ray went on to do Best of the Best, which is one of the best martial arts movies you'll ever see in your life. Uh as long as with some other roles he did as well. But this is one of the earlier roles in 1985. And basically it's it's kind of a tale of two different types of genres in the movie. You have martial arts and then there's like this drama-esque, almost James Dean-ish type, you know, uh, Rumblefish type thing going on with the, the gangs. And 
it's like trying hard in some ways to be the warriors, yet it's not the warriors. And it's like weird because they're all so stereotypical gangs. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, even the the characters in general, the one of the bigger names in the movie as far as villains is Bill Wallace, who everyone will know uh, as a main martial artist throughout that time. Uh, but when I read up on it, as John Chong, who plays the lead uh, in the movie, he's actually this like grandmaster of martial arts who uh, actually directed and, and starred in this film. This is like his first movie project he had done. And he got Philip Ray in there. And uh, basically, Philip Ray plays a young man who arrives at his high school as a a new attendee and he's making his way into the school as far as like getting throughout the day and <laughs> bumps into uh this other group of uh young men who are represent one particular gang and uh gosh i, I wish i could remember that guy's name because um, oh. he's also a big name that he's in uh, uh thomas f wilson um peter malota uh, Jun Chong, Philip Ray. It might be Thomas. Uh, scroll down more. So there's like a cast. There you go. Uh, James Liu. That's the guy. He's uh, He also shows up in Big Trouble in Little China at one point as one of the guys in that. So he plays the main like uh, antagonist uh, as far as gangs are concerned with uh, John Chong's character and Philip Ray because James Liu's gang comes up to Philip Ray and uh, they're pushing him around saying he owes money, you know, all this yes, yes, whatever. And John Chung comes along and they, they decide they're going to fight. This is like the first fight that we're going to see. He's like, yeah, you just tell us the place and time and we'll be there. And so we get our first taste of this, you know, martial arts uh, choreography and battle with this particular fight and uh it's uh, James Liu who's using like a staff, I believe, if I recall, and Jung Chong is using like a sword, a wooden sword. It's not real mm -hmm. at this point. And uh, so they're fighting, representing each gang or whatever, and uh, Jung Chong character wins the first bout. Uh, and so we kind of leave off of that group for a while. And throughout the movie, uh, John Chinefelt Ray's gang ends up running into other gangs here and there and they kick their ass. And Anyway, as school uh, students, they end up being approached the very night that they're fighting uh, James Liu's gang. Uh, approached by a guy who says, yeah, you know, we caught your little uh, fight, whatever, uh, we want to offer you security jobs. <laughs> So, there's a lot of unbelievability in the film itself, but you just kind of roll along with it. Also, they're supposed to be high school. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Like, not only do you look at them and you say, wow, they look like 20-somethings, but on top of that, uh, apparently John Chong, the main character, was like 41 when he did this movie. So, it's very uh, kind of hard to, to really visualize that these guys are teenagers, but... Uh, for the product of the time, you get it, but... So they become, like, security detail, and for a while they're making some decent money for, like, local parties and uh, roller rinks and stuff where they're just keeping the peace and, you know, throwing out the bad guys who are trying to create trouble. 
And then they end up coming across a party where uh, Jun Chan's character comes across the guy who's holding the party, and it's uh, he's like one of the biggest drug dealers in, in L.A. So uh, he sees that the guy has like a big suitcase of money that he leaves while he goes with his girlfriend into the bathtub to have some fun. He ends up taking the money, and you know, because here John Chan's character, his mother's a drunk. Uh, she sees a lot of different men. She kind of like just puts herself out there. She's not very attentive to what Chan's character needs as far as development, and so John figures, well, if I get this money, I can help my mom and myself get out of this situation and leave all this shit behind. So that's his motivation. Mm-hmm. And then he steals like a big old pile of money. Right. So he's got all this drug money that he took, and you know, obviously they leave right after the fact. So it tips off the. The drug dealer, oh, okay, yeah, you stole my money? Okay, well, we're going to come get it. And so he's hiring a samurai guy uh, and Bill Wallace, uh, two different types of uh, gentlemen who are hitmen. Sort of not unlike, uh, I can't remember the specific movie, and that's bad on me, but Bruce Lee had a similar thing when he was fighting the Japanese. Um and so, like, they were kind of doing the same thing where they were hiring these different types of hitmen with different skills. Uh, this is the same kind of thing. It's a similar premise in that sense that you have different hitmen with different uh, specialties. Uh, now, in the meantime of all this, Philip Ray's character, he's, uh, you know, he, he helps. He likes his group of guys that he's with, the gang. Uh, but he's also developed a relationship with this girl who happens to be James Liu's sister. So that adds more tension to between Lou and Philip Ray's character and the, the gangs that are involved. So uh, he's been hanging out with this girl a lot. And there's even a moment where John Chong, who is like jealous of the fact that Ray's got this other person in his life, that he's like, look, you just need to get laid. Let's go get you a hooker or some <laughs> shit. You know, he's trying so hard to like get Philip not to be so attached to the, the girl. It doesn't really work. Uh, Philip Ray can't even go through with it with the hooker and leaves. Uh, but eventually the hitmen catch up uh, to Chong's gang. Not them specifically yet, but get to the gang of guys with them because of James Lewis' help when they approach them and threaten them. Like, look, either I fuck you up or you tell them where these guys can be found. And James Lewis doesn't like these guys anyway, so he's like, okay. Here's where they are. Uh, so, finally, Wallace and the samurai catch up. You know, they got the rest of the gang from John Chong's gang in there, and they've been torturing him, beating him up. And finally, Chong shows up. Philip Ray hasn't even been involved yet because he's been hanging out with the girl. Uh, so, Chong, you know, he, he defeats the samurai pretty easily. I mean, he gets cut up a little bit, but he, he manages to beat that guy and kill him. And then... I do believe he takes on Bill Wallace as well. Yes, he does. And then uh, he actually breaks Wallace's knee at some point to get away from that situation. So you kind of think, well, things are going to get better. You know, he retrieves his buddies. They pile him into the car. And uh, they actually go somewhere. I can't remember where. It always seems like a dark alley. One of the biggest problems of this film is how dark it was shot. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, like, we... Even though it was a DVD, you could tell it was 
the, transfer. Yeah, from the company that did it. That's that's what they're known for. Is they had um, rights to a lot of these movies, and they transferred them to DVD. But you know, I guess you can only work with what you have, and they didn't. I guess clean it up or have yeah, because we're talking about that one DVD got me with all those movies is mm-hmm. like early two thousand. So the technology just wasn't quite there yet for making it mm-hmm. as seamless as possible. I know that I've seen, like, at least listed the DVD or Blu-ray of LA uh, Street Fighters out there. I don't know how much better that is. I mean, I'm assuming if there's a Blu-ray, it's better. Uh, but yeah, the version that I have, which is nice little collectible, but it's very dark, and I remember the VH, VHS being the same way. It was just very It was dark. just shot, and... I right. mean, and that's the other thing, too, is, like... The original, if it's shot poorly, if it's shot dark, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to clean up. Um, so, yeah, they're in some sort of alley or something, and then they end up running into James Lou's gang again. Uh, and this time, shit gets a little more real. Uh, John Chong is fighting off some of the other guys and beating them up, but then he's stabbed by James Lou a couple times, and he ends up, like collapsing and then philip race finally shows up with the mother who you know was looking for uh john chong uh at this point and they find john like kind of laying on the ground so philip ray gets really angry at this point he picks up the wooden sword that uh chong would carry around as a fighting weapon and starts fighting james and actually defeats him by hitting him really hard in the head so much that it really kills the guy. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really, really know specifically what happens to Lou's character because you don't know if he's just seriously wounded or if he's actually dead. But from what I read, he actually died in that. Oh, scene. Well, they didn't really specify right. in the scene. Right. You just kind of assumed one way or the other he was defeated, but it didn't really say whether or not he was actually dead. But he was cracked pretty hard on mm-hmm. the head. So, and Neko kind of brought it to my attention at the time that, you know, this would set uh, an issue because of Lou's sister would mm-hmm. probably be very upset about both of this. Not only that Ray and everything else had heard that, or that her brother had killed Jung Chong, but uh, and I'm just using their real names. They have character names. I apologize. But uh, Tony. Tony. Um, but yeah, that would create another... Now, here's the other issue with this movie is once Ray's character wins... Uh, he and the mother of Jun Chong are sitting there while uh, Tony dies, and uh, that's when the movie ends. <laughs> like, yeah. like there's this like big, a, yeah. the big sorrow and everything. There's money there, but like it's you know it, it, it's not Jun Chong's fault because I know he probably had a specific budget he had to stay within to get this made. Uh, but this guy went on to, to train and teach a lot of people like going forward in the martial arts world, which. I didn't realize at the time how big of an impact he had on not just the movie itself, but, like, martial arts world and everything and all that kind of stuff. Uh, He's done tournaments and stuff like that, too. So uh, it's very cool to see that. Uh, As I said before, Philip Ray went on to do... uh, Became a pretty big star in martial arts for a little while there with the different movies he was doing, like Best of the Best series and whatnot. Um, that's one I would love to revisit because I think I don't know if Nick ever saw that one, but that's, I, I haven't. I can't. That's a, it's a really solid movie, much better made, but uh, yeah, it's just pretty crazy how it was fun to go back and revisit it. But it's, it has its problems because of the editing, 
even the dialogue between the characters is pretty cheesy, but again, 80s, what do you expect? Um, it was dark, the shot kind of bad uh, in that re retrospect. Um, but John was pretty smart in terms of the type of guys that he hired, even though they were all kind of young, like James Liu and Philip Ray, they were not really well-known names at that point. Uh, good picks for the roles they were in. And of course, Bill Wallace being a bigger name at that point, having worked with Bruce Lee and stuff like that. Uh, so that was cool to see in that movie. And I don't know how many people who are into the martial arts, like Samurai or Treo Jr. and them, I don't know how many of, if them have seen this actual film. So hopefully uh, they have, because it's, it's at least worth a good watch for once. It was really good martial arts, and it Choreography's was... Choreography's great, yeah. actually. Like, really... Really quite good because I, I was sitting there watching this and I'm like, you know, you watch films and you can sometimes tell when the fighters are missing each other. Like, you, they, they do the actions. Like, if you kick and you fly by a guy's face and he does his movement, you're like, cool, okay. But you can sometimes see that disparity where he's kind of missing them if mm -hmm. you're looking closely. This one, the way they were hitting each other, like... Either they were just that good, or they were actually really kicking and hitting each other. Like it was just so on point, uh, very well choreographed, and uh, I was just really impressed with all the fighting. That was that was one of the things that drew me to the movie initially when I saw it because everything was quick. Like you watch some older martial arts flicks, and the martial arts fighting is a little bit slower because they're going cha, 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 cha. This is like boom, 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 boom. This is like before you see like stuff like Ip Man with mm -hmm. Donnie Yen, you know, where it's like... Ch -ch 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 -ch. Uh, this, so this was very quick movement martial arts, and it was very nice to see that um, when you could see it. <laughs> yeah, well, you could actually physically see it. Yeah, the, the, you're only going to be disappointed because it's really dark. It's If you complain about like King of the Monsters or Godzilla 2014 being dark, too dark at times, this is... Those are nothing like this. This is, like, worse in the terms of, like, I can't see what the fuck they're doing in there. So, uh, check it out. I am, I do recommend it. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a good watch. It was just, you know, a little over the top, and it was a typical, like, kung fu movie. But if you like good fight choreography, it's, it's kind of the, like, same story that you get it's like you've got rival gangs you're fighting for like your family's honor and then somebody dies yeah you know and i was thinking about this the entire time man like if you could get like ikuyawas or joe tazlin to do a remake of this film it would be pretty outstanding because the subject matter and plots there you just need a better cinematography and you need just a better uh, story built around it. Mm -hmm. And it would come out pretty nice. Like, I think you could really do a good job with it. Um, I think Jun Chung is still alive, so I don't know if that was something he would ever consider doing as far as, like, remakes are concerned. but uh, Or at least an update version of this. Like, you can rename it something else just based upon it. But... Uh, with these newer fighters nowadays, like our martial artists and actors, like I think they could do a really good job with this kind of stuff. Because uh, I, I think the possibility is there. It's a lot of fun. I think you're right. And there's a lot of young actors out there where you could actually make it more believable that 
they're in high school. <laughs> right. I mean, obviously, Taslim and Uquas are a little older, so maybe it wouldn't pass. But, you know, either... Maybe they could take a similar concept and not have it surround in high school. High right, school. Right. You could have it just be, like, different gangs, but not them physically going to high school. It could be something like, you know, maybe they're in college or maybe they're just young adults. Or just make them, like, you know, one pack is Yakuza. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, you could do so many different things with, with the premise being what Chung was trying to do. Uh, but just the fact that you can get away with more now than you could back then. And I know, uh, even though martial arts still kind of has limited budgets with what they do, you could just tell with some of the movies that are made today that the quality is much better in terms of stories and the cinematography and the acting involved. So uh, that would be a lot of fun to see if they can do something like that. Uh -huh. All right, well, let's get back into our music. I've got some new stuff from Parasite in here, classic stuff from Heathen. And then Vlad sent us something from a band called Seizure, and this is called Phantasm, and we will be back.
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. Yeah. 
We are back. Generate close out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos, episode 148. Been a good episode, baby. Oh, yeah. Always a blast. Glad to have you by me here, at least for a little while before you head back out. What are you going to do when I go out? It's going to be just DJ Anubis, no DJ Neko. DJ Anubis will hold down the fort. Uh-huh. Get shit done. Thanks to everyone who tunes into the podcast. Thanks for the support. We will try to keep up the good work for you all and the great tunes coming your way. One last track for you. Brand new stuff from me, Detest. We will get what we deserve, and tomorrow is Christmas Day, so hopefully we get what we deserve. We will get what we deserve, and everybody else will, because there's lots of presents to go around. Because we're good people. All right, all. Enjoy. See you later. Bye-bye.